I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. And the cost is more than I can bear. I've been to war, and I have no desire to do so again. I'm here to enlist every man willing. Who's with us? seen that movie? Yes, it's awesome. Does it make you cry like it does me or I'm the big sissy here? All right, so does everybody remember Electric Company, the, the show Electric Company? Today's Electric Company is sponsored by the letter A or B. Well, today's message is sponsored by the great people at the Rubicon and a double espresso. So I am, uh, I'm fired up as long as I can hold on to it, okay? So, but I, in all sincerity, this message, um, I'm going to take you a little bit through history um, it's not my goal to unpack all of American history or biblical history to you. Sometimes it seems like that when it gets about like 40 minutes in, but I'm going to try not to do that to you. Um, you just have to promise me one thing that I, I, as much as I appreciate, there's a historian in here, I know it. There's someone in here that can just parse out every little thing about civil war and, and revolutionary history. I appreciate you. You don't need to take me aside and correct me at the end of the day. So just put it in an email form and I'll read it at leisure, okay? Just make, make that promise. Um, so this message uh, that, that I'm going to preach to you today and, and, and share with you is something that God gave me well over a year ago. And it's interesting because that normally doesn't happen. Typically when, you know, Buddy or, um, and Gay ask me to speak, it's usually, you know, a month out, a couple weeks out, something like that. And so I start praying and reading and, and God lays a message on my heart and I formulate it. But in this circumstance... About a year ago, um, I was watching the movie The Patriot, and, and I was, it's something, it, God just took me to a, a, a passage of scripture. And so I stopped, and I opened it up, and he brought it to my recollection, and I started reading it. And from that moment, I just started writing. Um, and, and, and this message was formulated then, and God's been working on me in my own personal life to be able to deliver it to you transparently and with authenticity. Um, and God has his perfect timing when we are to deliver a message. And I believe uh, God's perfect timing for this message was last week. But, uh, you know, that was Gay's weekend, so I couldn't do it. So now I, it's got to be this weekend. I'm kidding. She started something last weekend that, that this thing that God gave me sort of completes. I had no idea what she was speaking on, and she had no idea what I was speaking on. But it's, God just does this. And so I'm very confident that, that this is for us today. Um, I know a lot of you, many of you are my friends and people I've known for a long time. Um, this is a challenging message. I'm just going to tell you that right off the bat. It's very, very challenging. It challenged me. And so I, I, to do what God's called me to do, I have to challenge you. And so it, it's not with any particular joy that, that I go through this other than to tell you the truth that God has revealed in my heart and in my life and in my family and also to share that with you and offer the same challenge. Because make no mistake, we're in a battle today. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. So quickly, American history, to save time from, from Saturday night. The Saturday night people was interesting. It's a weird service because it's really short. So I only did about half the message. And so I'm hope we, we challenged them to come back at 9 and 11 and get the whole thing or, or go online or something. If you're here from Saturday night, man, thanks for coming back. I'm really sorry. But I'm not used to like the constraints of that service. It was kind of crazy. But 
what I've decided to do, instead of give you the full backstory, can we agree that the Revolutionary War happened? Yes. All right. Great. Any dissenters? All right. There's always one. All right. So it happened. Okay. And the reasoning was very simple. Um, Europe, they sent explorers. They were looking for new land and, and stuff. Um, and so they, they decided to settle in America. They sent uh, people over, we call them settlers, who became colonists. The settlers banded together in these colonies and they created these, these living arrangements and they started to grow and prosper. While that was happening, they were steadily shipping back natural resources and money and things back to, to Britain, right? Okay, so that was going on for a while until, as it happens in every culture, the people got to the point where they're like, man, I'm working myself to death and they're prospering from it. And so they started thinking about this, saying, man, this is not fair. We've got our own colony and our own culture. We've developed a whole new identity. Why are we shipping everything back to them? And so they decided at that time that they were going to stand against it and say, no, we're done. It's time for us to stand on our own. We don't need you anymore. Uh, yes, you are our cousins, but I, I'm not going to send you the, the cream of the crop, so to speak, from what we've done. And so they decided to throw off that mantle. All right, This is where we meet Benjamin Martin, who is Mel Gibson's character in the movie The Patriot. Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin, is a guy who had fought. He was a warrior. He, he had carved out these colonies, and he assisted in doing that. So he knew battle. He knew bloodshed. He knew what it took to be able to have this existence. But when we meet him in the movie, he, he had laid down his weapons, and he picked up a plowshare. He became a father, a farmer, a landowner. He just, he, as, a, as a, many soldiers do, if they survive... They put their weapons down, and they, for the freedom that they fought for, they enjoy it. And so that's what he did. He decided to enjoy his life. And so he, he forged this family right in the midst of these colonies. And, and that would be great if that were the end of the story, but it wouldn't make for a good movie. So what happens? Well, it just so happens that he has forged his life on a powder keg of rebellion. So at this very moment in history... The, the colonists are deciding that they don't want anything to do with it. They drag Benjamin in. They vote on it. He's one of the few dissenting voices that says, no, you don't want to fight. This is not what we want to do because he'd seen bloodshed. And he knew most of the people voting had never picked up a weapon in anger. You know, they were farmers. They were craftsmen. And so he knew what the, what the cost was going to be. And so he said, no, not me. Not my family. We don't want any part of this. Well, as you can imagine, he left and decided that he was going to just remain neutral in, the, in the, the conflict, but he's got a son. And if any of you, my parents are here, they know what having a son's like, right? It's crazy. You want them to do this, they do that. So his son decides that he can't live without taking up the cause of the rebellion. So he gets involved. And then there's the, the scene, which is heart-wrenching. It really starts the process. All of a sudden, his son shows up. He had defied his father, joined up with the rebellion, the bad guy shows up at, his, at uh, Benjamin's house. His name is Tavington, awesome bad guy. And he captures his son, his oldest son, and decides that he's going to hang him as a spy. The, the, the father, Benjamin, is like, no, please don't hang my son, don't kill him. But, of course, Tavington, being an evil man that he is, has to make a point. So he decides he's going to kill him, uh, and, and then he takes him away. And so Benjamin, not wanting to get involved but now personally involved, picks up his trusty tomahawk and his weapons, takes his um, third and fourth oldest boy, leaving his next oldest boy behind with the girls and the family to, to hold down the fort, goes off to rescue his son. He does. It's pretty awesome. So as he's coming back, and we're going to see this clip in just a second, everything has gone sideways when he was gone. 
Let's pray. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your message. Thank you what you've, for what you've called us to do, God. We are challenged. And Lord, we need your anointing of your spirit. We need strength. We need courage. God, most of all, we need you because without you, all of this is pointless. So God, I ask for your anointing spirit today to open our hearts and challenge us to become patriots. Father, just trust you in this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Watch this clip. And so it begins. Benjamin comes back after rescuing his oldest son, and he sees his house has been burned. His children are crying. His next oldest son is lying dead at his feet. Pretty serious. Pretty serious. For a man who didn't want to be involved. That's a quick way to get involved, isn't it? Sometimes those are triggers that that happened for us to get involved. Let me tell you another quick history story, but we'll come back to Benjamin in a moment, but I'm going to tell you the story of the, of the Jewish people. We could start back at Genesis, and we could really wind through this, but there's going to be some assumptions I'm going to make here. Everyone knows that there were people called the Jews, right? <laughs> okay. Yes, there are. I'm, if you don't know it, I'm telling you now, okay? They exist. Um, they were captive in the land of Egypt. Moses, who we have heard the name before, led them out of Egypt, split the Red Sea with the grace of God, led them in the desert for 40 years because they were disobedient. A guy named Joshua steps up and leads them across into the promised land. We also know that before that, there was a guy named Jacob. You ever heard of the name Jacob? There's some sitting in the room right here, so even if you don't know the one I'm talking about, you can agree that there is a Jacob. Jacob, whose name changed to Israel, had 12 sons. They became what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, so when they were led into the promised land, they were already subdivided into these tribes or colonies. They settled in different parts of the promised land. They were cousins. They got along fairly well, but um, they interacted when they had to. But all in all, they maintained their distinctions. Now, as time went on, God was the king of the people. God was in charge but the people didn't like that because they looked around and they saw all the other lands that had human kings. And it's pretty hard to have a discussion with people when you're like, hey, have you checked out our king? And the people of Israel are like, well, have you checked out our king? And the, the people are like, where is he? Well, you can't see him. I mean, but he's there. So they felt kind of weird. You know, it's hard to have a discussion with people, brag about your king because you can't see him. And so they asked God, give us a human king, give us a human king. So we know the story. God selects Saul first. Everybody knows the name Saul. Saul, Matt Chandler, who tried to steal this message from me, I've had this written for a year. I've got it time stamped. He stole it from me. Matt Chandler describes Saul as the dude. 
He was the guy that women wanted and men wanted to be. He was the guy. The Bible describes Saul as being a foot taller than everybody else. A physical specimen. Great looking, a great hunter, a great warrior. But the story of Saul helps us realize one thing, that good looks and stature don't mean everything. I know that personally. Right? I understand. I'm a great looking guy and I'm a physical specimen. I've got a beard. It's luxurious. But it, where has it gotten me in life? You know? So I understand what Saul went through. It's hard. Hard living being a good looking guy. So Saul seriously was, was just everybody wanted to be Saul. Well, as it turns out, Saul was crazy. He got drunk with power. He couldn't maintain the calling that God had on his life. And so he began to serve himself. And so God moved him aside in favor of another imposing figure of a man, right? No, a shepherd boy, David. I mean, it was so bad for David that his dad even forgot he had him. Samuel told him, give me all your sons because I want to see them all. And he lined them all up except David. And Samuel's like, are you sure this is everybody? And Jesse says, well, I think this is, yeah, it's everybody. Are you sure? Well, well, there's David. Well, go get David. And as it turns out, God anoints David as the next king. Now, David made his mistakes, didn't he? He struggled. But the greatest description of David ever, he was a man after God's own heart. What a description. Well, David's kingdom led to Solomon's kingdom, his son. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, also the wealthiest man to ever live. Do you realize that how they have calculated historically that Solomon's wealth, if you were to take the top 1,000 richest people in the world today, and we're talking multi-billionaires, the top 1,000 of the richest people and pool all of their wealth, it would be about a tenth of what Solomon owned. Now, that's a rich dude. He had it all. He had everything. He was anointed by God. He was the wisest man, the richest man. He had it all. And at the end of his life, he writes in Ecclesiastes and says, everything that I had is vanity. It was worthless. It's like chasing the wind, no point. What a sad life, isn't it? All that stuff. And so what happens is as, as the Jewish people can be contentious, at times, they can be a little argumentative at times, and that's what they did. They split up. Ten tribes went north and became Israel. Two tribes went south and became Judah. They started, they had kings separately. Every king in Israel was rotten. Every single one in the north was rotten. They all disobeyed God. They all were idolaters. They were rotten. And through the prophet Jeremiah, God tells us and told them, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to take you away into captivity until you learn your lesson. And that's what he did. The Assyrians came down, conquered the northern ten tribes, wiped them out, and took them into captivity. However, Judah, the south two tribes, a little bit better, kind of like the intimidator, roller coaster. They started off with the good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, until eventually they couldn't even keep that up, and they fell into idolatry. God cast judgment on them. The Babylonians came down. But the Babylonians are a little bit different than the Assyrians. They're a lot meaner. See, in Judah, that's where Jerusalem is. That's where the temple is. And so the Babylonians, not only did they come down and wipe out everyone and take most of them into slavery 800 miles away, they also destroyed the temple and destroyed the city. They destroyed everything. I mean everything. They just wiped it out. Well, 
This leads us to um, an interesting verse of scripture, which uh, a lot of people, it's a greeting card scripture. Everyone knows this scripture. Uh, it's on Facebook all the time. Anytime you're going through a hard time, someone invariably is going to give you this scripture. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of you could probably quote it if you've been through a rough time in your life. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Yes, Church, we can claim this as a promise of God. It's something that, that God does have plans for us. But truly, it was written to the Jews that were taken away in captivity. God was telling them, I made a promise to your father Abraham, and I will keep it. You are going to experience judgment. You're going to experience difficult times at your own hands, incidentally. But I will bring you back. Now, how does God do that? Well, he uses another king, Cyrus. The Persians. The Persian Empire had risen, conquered the Assyrians, conquered the Medes, conquered the Babylonians, and now basically ruled everything. Cyrus was interesting because he had heard from God, and God told him, I want you to rebuild my city and rebuild my temple. Now, Cyrus could have said no, but Cyrus believed in restoring cultures. He believed that a happy culture was a productive culture. And so he did. Not only did he decide to rebuild it, he decided to help them rebuild it with money. So he told the Jews, I'm going to send you back to rebuild your city and your temple, and I'm going to pay for it as much as I can. That's pretty awesome. So this is how God basically leads us back. We get to this, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, most of you who are Bible readers, I'll bet you when you are sitting there and you're like, I need some encouragement, you probably pick up and read Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Is that right? Am I the only one? Uh, that's right. I'm a freak. I know it. It's okay. I've heard it before. I know that Ezra and Nehemiah aren't popular books. I mean, they're right up there with John 3.16, and at the end of an end zone, you're going to see Nehemiah 1.4 someplace. No, I get it, but it's, it's fascinating history because it tells our story today. I'm going to tell you right now that what we're going to talk about today is relevant at this moment, all the way back in Ezra and Nehemiah. So Ezra led the, the, the second charge back into Israel. He, he went, or back to, to Jerusalem, he went to rebuild the temple. But we're going to focus on Nehemiah for a moment. Nehemiah's um, goal in life was to rebuild the wall, but why? Here's the thing about Nehemiah, it's pretty interesting. Nehemiah was a child of the exile, which means he wouldn't have even probably ever visited Jerusalem. He'd never even been to the temple. He didn't even know any, you know, other than the, the stories, he didn't know much about it. He wasn't really connected so he had no particular reason to care about anything that happened there. He was the cupbearer of the king. It's a pretty neat job because unless the king's not popular and people are trying to kill him, you get to drink really awesome wine and eat really awesome food all the time. You get to sit on a pretty comfortable cushion. You've got a pretty good life. Kind of like Benjamin Martin, right? I mean, he had a pretty good life, a comfortable life. He had a family. He had stuff. He had great wine. He thankfully was serving a fairly popular king at the time. So nobody was trying to kill him yet. And so he had a good job, which makes the case study of Nehemiah pretty curious to me. And this is where God really got hold of my heart here. So let's see what, what's going on here. In fact, he had no connection to Jerusalem whatsoever, but he was a spiritual patriot. He sets the tone for what we're going to talk about today. So this is a model that we need to pay very, very close attention to. In our first clip, we saw Benjamin. He, 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 trust me in this, he didn't want to get involved, but he became personally connected to the story through the loss of his sons. Personally connected. 
Now, what connects Nehemiah to this? Let's read Nehemiah 1. 1 through 3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. I was in Susa, the citadel. Then Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Here's the thing. 800 miles, these people traveled from Jerusalem, and they come to the court of the king to where Nehemiah is. Nehemiah had never been there, had really nothing to do with it, and, and was living an awesome life. But the first question that he asked is, how's the city? How are the people? I find that interesting. Why does he care? Something had gotten hold of his heart, and he finds, well, how are my people? How are, is the city? And they said, it ain't good, man. It's bad. The walls are down. The place is in shambles. The people are scattered. It's bad. It's really bad. So what do you think Nehemiah does? What would most people do that live or are living a great life? Oh, man, that's bad news. Ooh, well, what can I do? I'm just a cupbearer of the king. There's nothing I can do about it. That stinks. No, that's not what he did. He got personally involved the next verse tells it all. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He wept and he mourned for days. When he heard that God's house and his city and his people were hurting and in shambles, instead of just saying, ah, he wept. And he mourned. Let me ask you the question. I'm going to ask myself. If I ever say you, I'm talking to me too, okay? When's the last time we wept for the church? And I don't mean the great church in the world. Yes, they're, they're under attack just like us. But I'm talking about this church, us, Salem Fields Community Church. When's the last time you wept for this church? Look around you. The walls are down. The people are hurting. There's need. How does it affect you? How does it affect me? What do we do? Well, Nehemiah leads the way for us, and this is what's so interesting to me. The first thing after how to get personally connected, if you want to know how to get personally connected like he did, Number one, you got to become an insider instead of an outsider. It's too easy to just be outside of the cause. It's too easy to look at this from the outside saying, yeah, that's not good. you got to get in. You have to be invested. You have to be in the fight. All too often, like Benjamin, we wait for personal loss for us to get ourselves engaged. God's calling you to get engaged now. You've got to become an insider instead of an outsider. The next thing, as Jackie told you, is you've got to find out what stirs your soul. And here's the difficult thing, folks. And this is the lesson that God taught me over the last two years. Typically, what stirs our soul is selfishness. It's selfishness. Call it what it is. We get stirred by what we want. 
We focus on what makes us happy. Now, I'm going to give you a phrase, and it's a, man, this thing drives me crazy. <laughs> I, the, the devil is in this cord. I know it. I rebuke you in this cord right now. Find out, here, here's a phrase, sorry. Here's a phrase. The, the phrase, I just want to be happy, is the watchword of an emotional holocaust. Do you understand what I'm saying? The phrase, I just want to be happy, is the the calling sign of the emotional holocaust. There is never hurt that is not associated with that phrase. I just want to be happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? What is happiness? Satisfaction. What satisfies you? Me. Me. Will it shock you to understand that your personal and my personal happiness is not on God's top agenda? Do you know that there's a difference in happiness and joy? Are we aware at the personal cost for serving God? Sometimes we just don't want to think about it. It's too hard to think about. But imagine, what would the world look like if everybody in the world sought their own personal happiness above duty or the common good. What, what would it look like? It's not, we don't have to look very far. We see it everywhere. But let me ask you a question. What if our brothers and sisters that struggled in the revolutionary, the civil, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, what if they all decided, I'm just going to do what makes me happy? Where would we be? What language would we be speaking? What would be our fate? No, we celebrate on the battlefield those people who set their personal happiness aside and forge ahead to fight for freedom and the American way, correct? Do we not celebrate them? And we should, but spiritually, we shun it because it hurts. Ask any soldier, anyone in the military that's faced combat if that isn't a personal cost involved we shun it because it hurts but the mission must take precedence over personal happiness is that popular no no it's not and have i fought the same battle yes do i want to be happy like everyone else yeah but you know what There's more. The next thing you need to do is you got to allow yourself to feel. Folks, this is probably the hardest part. The hardest part of of getting involved and really becoming personal about this is you've got to let yourself feel. We are a generation of runners. You would think we'd be all paper thin. We're so good at running. Anytime a situation gets difficult, anytime a a relationship gets tough, anytime we're not satisfied, anytime we're not happy, anytime we're not enjoying ourselves anymore, we put our emotional running shoes on and we go. And sometimes it's not emotional. Sometimes it's real shoes. We just pick up and go. Marriages falling apart, brothers and sisters falling apart, parents and kids falling apart, relationships of all kinds falling apart. And even in the church, when we stop being happy, when we don't like the music anymore, we don't like the chairs anymore, we don't like the format anymore, when everything, I'm not happy, we just get up and leave. We run. 
Well, you know what? It's no different than trying to numb yourself through alcohol, drugs, sex, work. It's no different. God calls us to stand firm, not to run. Even though our natural instincts say, I don't like this. I can't take it anymore. We have to stand because it's what he wants us to do. It's what he's commanded us to do. And we don't have those rights anymore. We've got to stand firm. Watch this clip. There's not been a time that I haven't watched that scene that I don't cry pretty much every time. And it's not because I'm a big sissy, even though that may be true. Um, it is because I'm overcome when somebody sets their own personal needs aside to take up the cause. I, it's overwhelming. In this particular part of the story, Tavington, the bad guy, the one that was riding the horse, Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin, sees him across the battlefield. Everything else fades. He sees exactly what he wants to do. He's killed both of his kids. He's burned his house. Killed, I mean, everything. He's cost him everything practically. And he knows that he can make it across that battlefield and finish him. And that's all he wants to do. That's his need. I've got to do it. But as he's running towards that goal, he hears that call. The line is faltering. The line is faltering. That's when his personal choice comes in. This is when he gets to decide, who am I? What am I? What am I going to do? Do I satisfy myself? Or do I follow through with what I've been called to do? Folks, here we are. Here we are. The line is faltering. I'm not talking, again, I love talking about the greater church and the church around the world. I'm, I'm talking about Salem Fields right now. And again, some of you, you're going to understand where I'm coming from. But the, the reality is this. The line is faltering. I've seen too many of my brothers and sisters that I love and care for and respect run away 
because it got really hard, because it got difficult, because they didn't, I just wasn't happy. The line is faltering. Who's going to pick up the flag? Who among you is going to pick up the flag? We need patriots. God desires patriots today. We can't talk about it anymore. We don't have the luxury of philosophizing anymore. The church, the greater church is under attack. Salem Fields is under attack. We have a mission that has not changed. To reach people for Christ. People outside of these walls that are hurting and dying without the hope of Jesus Christ. Kids that can't even brush their teeth or eat. 80% of the kids in Livingston live below the poverty line. And we can do something about it. But we're worried about who's singing and how bright the lights are. I, I we got, if we want to be patriots, we got to take up the cause. We got to take up the cause. Nehemiah didn't even know these people. He didn't know them, but he knew that God desired for that city and that temple to be rebuilt. And so he took up the cause. He got on his face in Nehemiah 1, 5 through 11, and he prayed to God, help me. Because I'm getting ready to enter a battle and I don't know what to do. Help me. So how do we take up the cause? Number one, you pray and you seek God's face. We can't do it alone. We can't do it on our own power. It's, it's destined to fail. We got to do it through the spirit of God and it's available. Secondly, we need to establish the need. Take a look around. Is there need? Is there needs in Nigeria? Yeah. Is there needs in Guatemala? Yes. Livingston? Yes. Are there needs here? Yes. Folks, I work with the, the students, as you know. Do you know how, how saddening it is that with the thousands of people that come through here on a weekly basis, we are scraping to get people to serve our children? Thousands come through here and we're trying to fill holes with the few people that will step forward. Why? The kids are under attack. Your students are under attack. And we have to beg people to come and serve them and give them the same hope that we enjoy. That's not right. It's not right, and it's not pleasing to God. We have to step out of our comfort zone. Look, I went to Nigeria recently. That's, God called me into the deep water. For me, at that moment, Nigeria was the deep water. When I went there, I acted tough. I mean, because, you know, you got to. I'm a guy, right? I'm Irish. I have to act tough. I, I was, I'm not worried about anything. I'm not, I was scared to death. Flying for 14 hours, I mean, I was sure the plane was going to crash in the water. When I got there, I was sure that I was going to be abducted and held for ransom. I don't know how much they plan on getting, man, but if they do it by the pound, it could be pretty lucrative. <laughs> so the facts are, I never knew what was going to happen. So I had to constantly submit myself to Christ and say, I'm here because you want me here. I'm here to serve you, God. But you know what I discovered? Nigeria wasn't my deep water. You know what is? Right here. Salem Fields Community Church is my deep water. You know why? Because I've been hurt here. I've had my feelings hurt here. I've been underappreciated here. I haven't been recognized for my efforts here. I've, had, I've been walked past by people that were supposed to say hi to me and they didn't here. That's happened to me. 
don't know about you, but that's happened to me. I've had my feelings hurt. I've had my pain exposed. I've had all of these things happen. And trust me, there have been days when I woke up and I said, I'm not going back. I don't want to go back anymore. But once again, that still small voice, God says, you must hold the line. Because I've not called you to be happy. I've called you to serve. Hold the line. And those days when I wanted to flee, I picked up the flag and I ran forward anyway. And here's the thing. I'm not a martyr because God revealed to me his healing. When I pressed through and I denied myself what I wanted to do, God began to heal me. Make me stronger. Make me realize that it wasn't about me anymore. It's about them. But ultimately about him. Will you help me? Will you take up the flag? Will you hold the line? Sure, some of you have been hurt. Some of you have run already. I'm telling you, don't run. Because God doesn't want it. He wants you to stand here, hold the line, because they need it. They need us. Not to be petty and not to fight amongst ourselves anymore. Not to worry about our hurt feelings sometimes, but to care more about his mission than what we want and what pleases us. Hold the line now. I appreciate that. We need to support our community. That's the next step. We've got to support our community, but how do we do it? I'm going to wrap up quickly here. This is the time when everybody gets scared because then they think I'm going to ask for money. (laughs) Look, we, we need to plug in and dig in. Here's the a, here's a truth. It's easier to plug in than it is to dig in. Plugging in is as simply as you saying, hey, I'll do that. Digging in is you saying, but nobody's recognized me for it. Nobody said thank you. Nobody has encouraged me today. Nobody has fed me today. Nobody has done anything for me today. And let me ask you, are you willing to keep serving when nobody cares? That's the difference in a patriot and the average person. When nobody cares and nobody knows your name and nobody acknowledges you for anything that you're doing, yet you stand firm because it is Christ that we lift up and his name that's magnified and his service that we stand in. That's why we do it. If we never get recognized a moment on this earth and if everybody in leadership shuns you and walks away from you and doesn't recognize you, we do it for him, not for them. That's the truth. And no, it's not popular. We've got to support the community, folks. We've got to weather the storm. They're coming. If you say yes today, as I hope that God encourages you to do, if you say yes, I will hold the line, mark my words. Pain is coming. Storms are coming. Difficulties are coming. Your feelings are going to get mashed. The enemy will make sure of it. And he'll probably use me. I'll probably forget to say something. or Something's going to happen. And and it's, it's going to happen. That's when the personal choice comes in. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Folks, the last thing in becoming a spiritual patriot is we've got to rebuild the house. It's time. 
It's time to rebuild a house. Yes. Do you commit your resources? Yes. Does God expect you to tithe and offer? Yes, he does. But I don't care about your money, and I'm not asking for it, and I don't want it, because tithing and offering, that's for you. It ain't for me. I give as obedience to God, not for any of you or anybody else. It's between me and him. It's all God's anyway. And we fight and we scrape and we hoard and we worry. It's all his. God calls us to be radically generous. Radically generous. We give from the excess. Actually, we live on the excess. God gives us so much, we could live on the excess and give him everything that we earn. We're still going to be okay. He's done it to me. Man, it's amazing. Prepare for resistance because it's coming. If you say yes today, mark my words, it's coming. But God is bigger. The line will hold. There is strength in the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Here's a secret. Jesus said the battle's already been won. Paul tells us we're conquerors. We've already won. The enemy is lost. Hold the line. Hold the line. And lastly, you better be prepared to work. It's one of my favorite verses in Scripture, scripture, Nehemiah 4, verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. It ain't going to be easy. There is work involved in this. So here's what I'm inviting you to do, church. I want you to give yourself completely to the Lord. I want you to deny yourself and don't expect any recognition whatsoever. Does that sound good? Anybody, anyone want to do that with me? Man, let's do it. Let's, there's people leaving the church and by the thousands, not just our church, every church. They're running for it. Why? Why would you leave the church? Because it's not satisfying you personally. And I'm challenging you. We don't have time for that anymore. Time is short. It's short. And there's people and kids that are dying without Christ. And we have the means to change it. Put it away. Take up the flag. Hold the line. Let's rebuild this house. This house. Salem Fields Community Church, who called God called 20 years ago to reach people who hated church. And we've all been there. He called us to reach the kids that need to be fed and clothed. And we've done it. He's called us to do all these things. But it's not over. It's renewed. The mission is renewed. And today, right now, you and me get to make a choice. Will you hold the line or will you pursue yourself? It's up to you. Let's rebuild this house. Let's reach people for Christ. Let's change the world. One last clip and we're done.
Gabriel said if we won the war, we could build a whole new world. Just figured we'd get started right here with your home. That's one of my favorite quotes of all time in a movie. He said, Gabriel said that if we won the war, we could build a whole new world, but we figured we would just start right here with your house. And I'm asking you, the war is already won through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It's time to rebuild this house. Let's start with this house. Why isn't every chair filled? Let's fill this place. Let's reach out into the community. Let's do what we were called to do and not stop. Never stop. Keep moving forward. No matter what the personal cost, no matter what the desire, move forward. And if you're teetering on whether you should stay or you should go, stay. Hold the line. Hold the line. Because we need to. Today's our day. Today's our day. Today is the day of the Lord. Today is our day. The world starts changing today with you and me. And I couldn't be more excited. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I anoint you. I am here because of you. And I believe you. God, you have laid so much on my heart. And I'm so thankful for who you are, God, because you've challenged me to my very core. And God, you've brought people today, Lord, that seem to be open to your challenge. God, let us hold the line, but we need you, Father. We need you to empower us and motivate us. God, the enemy is attacking us from all sides, which tells me he is terrified of what you've called us to do. God, I'm asking for patriots today, patriots today to stand and accept the call. If you're with us today, if you're willing to take a stand today, if you're willing to become a spiritual patriot today and pick up the flag and hold the line, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me right where you are? Father God, we just give ourselves to you and Lord, we ask for your anointing and we ask that you would repel the enemy from this place and that you would re-empower us, God, to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we know that the storms are coming. We know that resistance is coming, but I stand with my brothers and sisters all over this building and online and wherever they are in the world. I stand with them in resistance to the enemy and we hold the line and I praise you, Jesus Christ, for giving us the strength in your blood to hold the line. And it is in your name we give ourselves as a humble offering to you. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's remain standing and let's sing this chorus out together and go forward proclaiming hymns.